0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 246.
1: For anyone that cares about their car and actually about life on the road, be careful in the streets. That's where the idiots are.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state of the art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at geniuschargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today I am so excited to introduce a very special and very fast guest, Mark Hicks. Mark, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: Well, I'm just now getting the car off the jack stands, Mark, and, uh, <laughs> but I'm getting in and uh, helmet on here, harnesses at the ready. Um, let's do this thing.
0: All right, cool. And I know you're heading off to race tomorrow at
1: Road Atlanta.
0: Road Atlanta.
1: With another big uh, Chin Motorsports event.
0: All right, cool. That sounds like fun. Since 2004, Mark Hicks has been the general manager and chief inspiration officer at Chin Motorsports. He has over 600 lifetime days on the racetrack and over 50,000 laps at 45 different road courses in North America, Europe, and New Zealand. Mark currently spends time behind the wheel in a Porsche Cayman. He also drives an Acura NSX, a Subaru BRZ, a Spec Miata, and pretty much what he calls any OPC, other people's car, he can get into. After all that, Mark has learned that he's got to learn about being a great driver and, as often said, behind every man is a great woman. And Mark's wife, Maria, is the co-manager of Chin Motorsports, and she even coaches him. So, Mark, I've told our listeners just a little about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your business, your interests, and, of course, your passion for driving automobiles really fast around a racetrack?
1: Well, sure, Mark, and, and thanks so much. It really is a privilege to be a guest on cars, yeah. You're welcome. I appreciate the uh, kind introduction there. You know, the first thing I would, I, I think, I'd like to offer is that what I do is advanced driver training. I have coached a lot of racers over the years and hobby enthusiasts, but I actually don't actively race today. So uh, my strength is driver instruction and track a bit. Awesome. Chin Motorsports is uh, really one of the leading providers of track day events in the United States. That's all strictly non-competition on the whole wide range of enthusiasts, from the entry-level driver who has never done a lap in their life, to uh, full-time professionals from the IMSA Series, and FIA and uh, FCCA Pro competitors that participate with Chin Motorsports doing testing and practice in the periods that they're not racing. So our program has a, a very wide range, and we do numerous events at a bunch of different tracks. While it's motorsports, obviously uh, motorsports-centric, uh, I don't actually do any live competition myself anymore, but it is a, a, a great pleasure for me to be able to lead one of the largest track day programs in the country, you know, just like many of the other guests that you've ever talked to that are fortunate enough to end up making a living in one way or another inside the car hobby, that's uh, how, you know, that's where I ended up. You know, there's not a um, there's not a college course in um, car culture. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that people end up in on the side one way or another. Uh, There's so many different great stories about people who have found a path into the car hobby or motorsports or a way to turn their hobby into a career, and I am very fortunate to be one of those people. You know, I didn't uh, grow up dreaming of uh, leading chin motorsports and through a, uh, who knows, uh, call it a, 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 a sequence of fortuitous so serendipitous event. One thing led to another, and today I get to go to the track about 75 days a year to be connected to and have relationships with thousands of sports car owners uh, nationwide. It, it is a unique position that fills me with gratitude. I have been very fortunate.
0: Absolutely fortunate for sure, and so much of what you're doing is what Car Jazz yeah is all about, and that is talking to people who figured out how to wrap their passion for cars into their vocation. And I've had several people here on Cars Yeah! that do somewhat similar things to you. Peter Krause, who's a well-known driving instructor. Don Kitch, of course, up here in the Pacific Northwest. Ross Bentley. So um, we're in good company here. I'm in good company here with some great coaches, and it's wonderful to have you here. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guest for a success quote. It's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning, here on Cars Yeah, and I know you love to drive, Mark, so take the wheel.
1: Man, I think, uh, honestly, if I was to try and simplify, to identify something that really provides great guidance, it's a really uh, familiar phrase to many in the car hobby, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> in a management sense, it's described as, do not come up with a solution unless you first have a problem. Mm-hmm. And I have tried uh, over the years to follow that in a way that um, you've got to be careful about how you allocate your resources and your energy. Uh, lots of things that we do in motorsports and in the car hobby in general require really high effort. And if you're spending your time working on stuff that really is not of great consequence, that's wasted time, of course. Sure. And so I've tried to have clarity about what needs work and then have purpose about finding the way to make whatever it is work better. So first thing is don't work on stuff that is working fine. And the second thing is if it's not working, then work on it with purpose to make it work. And uh, so that's kind of a guiding influence for me and for reasons either external or either created by myself it has led to some success. We've uh, been able to really far exceed our original expectations for what was the initial concept of Chin Motorsports, and we've come a huge long way from our uh, founding days with a lot of effort, and there is additional staff in Chin Motorsports. I don't do it myself. We have uh, been very fortunate to make substantial and significant progress, and by the way, I have relationships with all the folks you mentioned moments ago there. Peter Krause and I are a close associates. He's a member of Chin Motorsports. Also, Don Kitch has participated in Chin Motorsports events in the past. Awesome. And um, Ross Bitley, I recently did a piece, and I am a contributor to the Speed Secrets newsletter. Ah, so,
0: yes, uh, I get that every week.
1: So I'm, I've been uh, very fortunate to come into contact with some of the um, – some of the other people who have some significance to the car hobby and the motorsports.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, as I said, we're all in good company here, and I'm very fortunate to have you guys here. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? Tell me if you can recall that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy.
1: You know, everybody, I think, uh, perhaps... If you think of yourself as a car guy, everybody in that category probably has numerous early influences that led to the path that they may have taken. You know, it's hard to nail down one specific thing, but I can sure say that as a very small child, I recall watching the formula one highlights on ABC's wide world of sports hosted <laughs> by Jim McKay. Yeah. Right. We're talking about sixties and seventies there. Sure. When consumption of formula one in the United States was a five or six or eight minute clip, uh, highlight that rolled on the wide world of sports. I used to uh, specifically watch for, for those uh, little highlight clips. I had uh, uh, this early interest in formula one and, even as a, you know, I'm talking about an 8 or 10 or 12 year old. And then, of course, there's a go kart, right? <laughs> Every car guy has a go kart oh, yeah. from their, a go kart in their childhood. My grandfather there was uh, an engineer, a technical engineer by trade. And in my growing up years, when we finally got old enough to have a go kart, uh, that was a very big deal, right? When the parents finally give in yep. to get a go kart. My grandfather, showed me how to work on it. My brothers uh, that we all shared the go-kart with, et cetera, everybody loved to use it, but uh, they weren't so keen on the maintenance and upkeep, right? Well, like <laughs> right. all things mechanical, the go-kart requires care and feeding, and it wasn't complicated, of course, but I was the guy who ended up having that interest, you know, not as a family chore, right, where you're like, oh, Mark, go check out the garbage. No, it wasn't one of those where you grown. Uh, When it came time to fix the go-kart, I looked forward to that. And my grandfather (laughs) steered me. You know, even in the early days, I was taking apart single-cylinder air-cooled engines and putting them back together. Then in uh, later years, when um, uh, I got old enough to get magazine subscriptions, I was uh, getting road and track in car and driver. I carried all of that uh, with me, this interest in cars in general. Throughout my early years, but I had no idea, you know, when I was becoming, uh, you know, an adult uh, worker earning wages that I would ever end up being able to earn a living in the car hobby. And uh, there were a variety of uh, jobs that were completely unrelated to the car hobby in those early years, but eventually it all led back uh, to where I am today.
0: Ah, Wonderful. I love that. What I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and ask you to share with us a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced along the way in your career. And the most important part of this question has to do with how did you overcome that situation and even more so, what did you learn from it?
1: Huh, wow. So, you know, I I, I guess I would think about that, Mark, in the context of where I began as a driver and where I am today as a driver. And and in that context, I'm not talking about getting in the car and going to work. I'm talking about making laps, how we function and behave and perform as drivers on the track. And everybody who is, if you're a sports car enthusiast and you're interested in doing track events and you've done some track events, you start out with this... um, general perception that you're a great driver, right? Because we're, we're car guys. (laughs) We're always, we've always been better drivers than any of anybody else.
2: (laughs) Of course.
1: Hanging around with you, you're hanging around with friends or you're taking a trip or you're together and somebody goes, well, who's going to drive? And you always volunteer to drive. Well, I'll be the driver. And, um, you end up with this confidence that you're better, you're a better driver And most of the friends and other people that you associate with, I'm talking about here in the context of streetcar driving, of course. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're the guy who could always get out and uh, change the flat tire when necessary, this kind of thing. And and, uh, one thing leads to another, and you think, wow, this is, I'm a great driver, let's go to the track and do a track day. Because people, in general, They're not even interested in signing up to do a track event unless they already have the perception that they're a great driver. That's what leads enthusiasts to go do a track event, this curiosity. Mm -hmm. And this is fairly universal. Uh, We've made that observation uh, for thousands and thousands of drivers over the years. And then there's a moment of humility (laughs) where you end up having, you know, there's a variety of ways that it can become evident to a driver on the track but you have a breakthrough moment where you realize you know what i am nowhere nearly as good a driver as i thought i was right and now i've got some work to do to become a great driver sure that can occur If you have the opportunity perhaps to ride right seat with somebody who is an all-time great in motorsports, I've had that opportunity on many occasions, very fortunately, and uh, that uh, great uh, lifetime pro driver may show you some things behind the wheel while you're riding right seat that absolutely astounds you. Or you might end up perhaps going off. You have a crash on the track. That's happened to me. It's happened to pretty much any enthusiast that has a, a serious long-term commitment to the track, uh, I would uh, venture to say that almost everybody that has a lot of uh, track time, has done a lot of laps, has a story about going off. And then you realize, well, I've made a mistake behind the wheel. And hopefully, if you're doing a little self-introspection, a little uh, being a little self-analysis, uh, that you recognize you made a mistake or you're not as good as you think you are, and then you end up, hopefully the outcome is that you take on a measure of humility that you remind yourself that you're not as good as you think you are and you ought to be better, and that actually becomes kind of a motivation, an inspiration, an incentive to work harder to become a better driver. But then actually, you know, I think car guys would recognize and even the larger population in general, I I think I'm talking about a life lesson. Mm -hmm. where you can apply it to anything that you do to have a measure of humility to recognize that whatever it is you're committed to, you're perhaps not as good as you think you are and you ought to be better and you should work harder to be better. Those people or drivers or professionals in whatever field that they're in, if they reach a point where they go, you know, I'm really good enough, I'm the best that I can be at whatever it is I'm doing, that, of course, is the first day that you begin to slide backwards. <laughs> and, um, so having the great good fortune to turn my hobby into a career that I've made a living from has brought me some humility. But at the same time, you can't be a, a, a great car guy without also thinking that you're pretty good at what you do. <laughs> yeah. that uh, seems to be uh, also a common trait. Uh, among the species but if you can measure at a measure of you know first you got to have great confidence that yes i am good at what i do i'd like for people to follow me because i think i can lead them to do good things and uh, temper that with a measure of humility to recognize that you're not quite good enough yet whatever whatever it is that you're doing and no matter how good you are you're probably not quite good enough
0: how about aha moments. Is there a point in time when you had one of those moments with your career that uh, really helped you identify a new direction that you had?
1: Yeah, you know, Mark, in the context of what I do, um, sports car enthusiast track days, I would kind of um, pinpoint the early years before Chin Motorsports existed when I was doing other track events. So I had a sports car and I was uh, uh, becoming part of other track day clubs. And this was before there was really a commercial model for uh, a for-profit enterprise-level track day provider. Everybody would go to volunteer car clubs. Mm -hmm. I recognized in doing uh, some of those style of track events that a traditional track event did not have a customer service-based business model. I also, from time to time, had some frustration that the track event that I was participating in with some other clubs wasn't going as well as I thought it could go, either from the standpoint of coordination or safety or coaching and instruction or even just staying on schedule. Mm-hmm. Some of those track days were less than well-organized, we shall say. Sure. And I recognized that there wasn't a customer service orientation. The event leadership might yell at a driver that was doing something inappropriate or rather talking down to a driver like a parent would to a child or a teacher would to a student. And there wasn't a customer service orientation. And uh, myself, along with The original founder of uh, Chin Motorsports, uh, my partner, good friend, and colleague, Dr. Weishin Chin, we got together on this subject, and we thought that we could do a better track day. I should certainly uh, be remiss to uh, leave out my uh, third partner, uh, Vincent Howard. They were all the original founders of Chin Motorsports with the intention of going out and providing a better track day than what was currently offered from other traditional car clubs. We made our kind of core emphasis customer service and safety. You know, safety really has to be thing one uh, if you're talking about doing uh, activities at racetracks. And then beyond that, to give uh, special emphasis in our case, uh, we decided it was going to be on customer service. And offering a higher quality experience to the drivers that chose to participate in Chin Motorsports events compared to some other more traditional track events. And uh, that was kind of the uh, the beginning. And that was kind of the aha uh-huh moment was thinking about doing track events that really cared about the drivers from a customer service standpoint.
0: Sure, excellent. I love it. How about proudest? career moments. I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular that really stands out in your mind?
1: I think it would be difficult to identify a specific uh, snapshot in time, but the certainly to say today that Chin Motorsports is the leading provider of sports car track events nationwide, number one in the United States. It's a point of great pride, for myself and my partners, and it is the fruit of long-time commitment and a lot of hard work. But today, in our overall space in the category of enthusiast track days, sports car track events, there's not a larger provider. There are some other entities that are have nationwide organization, but. To a large extent, they are all regional chapter-based, mm-hmm. and they have lots of individual operators that may do five or six or ten events a year that are all under one national umbrella. However, Chin Motorsports doesn't have individual regions or other operators. We are a single entity with a calendar of 47 track events, at 14 of America's greatest road courses, and um, not another provider is in that same position. But, uh, in 2014, over 7,000 uh, driver entries were received. Wow. Um,
2: <laughs> wow. That's fantastic.
1: So that it, it really is, and, and that certainly is a point of pride, and it's also something to be very cautious about being content that, We've achieved that, and and now we've got that done, and we don't have to work so hard anymore. In fact, I would call it the reverse. Once you reach that status, you now have an obligation, perhaps, and a long-term commitment to work even harder to try and uh, continue that momentum, which has uh, led to us to be able to um, uh, reach the position that we have.
0: Sure, Absolutely. Let's have a little fun here, Mark. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory you had with that vehicle?
1: Uh, Sure, Mark. You know, I'm probably similar to a lot of car guys in that you talk about having a memory of a special car. It ends up almost always being the first car that you owned. I grew up in the 60s and 70s, the muscle car era. When I was a teenager, my grandmother retired a car that she had been using for, for several years and gave it to me. It was a 1965 Buick Riviera Grand Sport. Oh,
0: wow. Cool.
1: And that car had the 465 Wildcat motor. You know, the Riviera was kind of in the beginning of the uh, two-door touring car kind of category for American automakers, certainly not a sports car, but certainly a muscle car. Yes. And, you know, that car brought me a lot of joy for a very brief period because, as a teenager, aren't we all idiots behind the wheel? <laughs> <laughs> and I crashed it in, um, you know, in really in the very early months after acquiring my driver's license. I had uh, been working on it for a year Prior to acquiring a driver's license, waiting and, you know, just looking forward with salivation to the day when I finally had a driver's license and I could put that car on the road. But in retrospect, having a young, inexperienced driver in a car with over 350 horsepower was...
0: Not a good mix.
1: Not a good mix.
0: Right, right.
1: We all look back and now you recognize how naive we were, myself, uh, perhaps even... You know, my parents are my grandmother. And now, not their fault. I'm the guy that really screwed up that situation. <laughs> yeah. But there there is a layer of uh, a level of naivete that a lot of folks have about what they can do with their car. And, um, you know we're always governed by the
0: laws of physics. Absolutely. You know, I've seen that over and over at the track. Guys get out there with a very high-performance sports car, and they kind of feel like because the car is capable, they are. And uh, sometimes they learn pretty quickly that's not the case. Is there a vehicle that you've had in your past that you let go that you really wish you could have back in the garage?
1: Huh? I would have to say, Mark, that I'm a buy-and-hold kind of guy. Okay. I work hard in the motorsports hobby, in the, in the car hobby and all of that, but I'm not a collector, okay? I'm not a guy with, uh, you know 20 or, or 40 cars in, in my garage. Uh, wouldn't that be great? Mm-hmm. But the cars that I have loved, I actually still own today. I've sold a bunch of cars, uh, bought and sold, et etc. But um, I guess I'm in a fortunate position to say that if I were to look back and review that, I haven't sold off a car that I wish I still owned.
0: Well, you're a lucky guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and maybe I haven't owned enough cars. You know, I probably have only owned uh, 20 or 25 cars in my life. Out of those that I sold off, uh, candidly, they were used up. (laughs) (laughs) They They were cars that were late in life with very high mileage and worn seats and creaking suspension, and I don't think of, uh, you know, from those early years, they were not expensive cars, obviously. And they, uh, uh, I, I don't end up having any regret about any of the cars that I've sold.
0: How about a vehicle that you bought and soon after said to yourself, what was I thinking?
1: <laughs> um, there was one of those in my college years in a, uh, in a, in a kind of a, um, uh, on impulse, I acquired an Opal and, uh, car guys will remember the Opal Manta. Oh yeah. It was a, a European fastback, uh two-door coupe. Yep. I love the lines. And I, at the time had, um, this compelling urge to own a German car, etc. But, uh, honestly, all I ever did was work on it yeah
0: (laughs) the opals have that uh that tradition i had a friend in college with one he had an opal gt which was a really cool looking car but uh oh my gosh it it spent a lot of time with the hood up (laughs) absolutely how about current projects is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up
1: you know that certainly would simply look a lot like chin motorsports as an entity not a mechanical project. I'm not in the middle of any kind of restoration or, or project like that. But I would turn it to more as a look toward the business model of the company that uh, I lead. That as an ongoing project to continue to uh, expand our company and to make contact with more and more track enthusiasts, that definitely is an ongoing project. It's actually been going on now for many years. Currently, it seems like in 2015, that project has grown in scope and scale and demands in a perhaps unanticipated way from years ago, and it's now a bigger project than ever. Much to, uh, I guess, uh, I have to be grateful for that, that it's gotten that big where it requires that much effort and commitment And at the same time, i always flavor that uh, or couch that in terms of I am so lucky to be able to do what I do because every trip that I take, there's a racetrack at the end of it.
0: Awesome. Here's a very introspective question for you. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why?
1: (laughs) Yeah, the um, You know, I love sports cars and I own a few, but I think about having the capacity to be very versatile and having uh, kind of a high utilitarian use. I've got a Ford Econoline E350 Super Duty XLT van. It's mm-hmm. like the old uh, the church bus yeah. you know, that had the, the bench seats, but I've actually customized the interior a little bit, but it's still got tons of cargo space. And aside from, okay, and the exception is making laps. This is not a vehicle you would ever make laps in.
2: <laughs> of course.
1: Aside, aside from making laps, this van is capable of absolutely
2: anything.
1: Long-distance, comfortable travel, hauling junk, hauling furniture, carrying a group of people to go out somewhere safe. Gosh, uh, if... Uh, the, everything all collapsed and uh, turned into dust tomorrow, you could go live in this van down by the river. So <laughs> so,
0: so Mark Hicks is a very versatile, useful, kind of do-everything kind of guy.
1: Huh. Well, Mark, <laughs> you, you, you can put it in those terms, but y- y- the uh, honestly, that's why I think I might end up being a super-duty van uh, because it's capable of almost anything, right? It's You, you have to compromise somewhere, but for example... If you were going to say, hey, I'm going to be a sports car, you have to compromise a huge long list of things, (laughs) and all with the um, intention to end up with one very special characteristic, Uh, whereas if you're the utility van, you only have to compromise a few small things, like making sure you've got a big enough parking place, (laughs) Um, you have to give up being able to make laps. You know, aside from things like that, there is a vehicle that is capable of a huge long list of things, and it's not capable of a, only of a short list of things. And, Perfect. And so maybe <laughs> that's why I would end up being something like
0: that. Great answer. Great honest answer. So Mark, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a word from our sponsor. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find The Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves The Little Red Racing Car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe CarpeVM brand where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy CarpeVM at CarpeGear.com and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E, Gear.com. All right, Mark, we're back and we're entering the last lap and you know what that means. The white flag is out. It's time to put our foot to the floor and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Okay. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: If it ain't broke. (laughs) <laughs> don't fix it. I seem to have heard that earlier about conversation <laughs> yep that's where we started it ain't broke don't
0: fix it. it ain't broke broke don't fix it yeah my dad used to tell me that a great one would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success
1: I guess I'd have to say I'm a workaholic mark
0: <laughs>
1: I work all the time every day day and night and the reason that is possible is that I get to work in the car hobby yep but Probably most of the people you've ever talked to all share that, right? These are people who are made a living in the car hobby one way or another. They all work all the time, don't they? How about yourself? Oh, yes. Yep.
0: All the time. Yep, all the time. Yeah, that's what entrepreneurs do, definitely. But it's because we love it, so that's awesome. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with the listeners you think they would be really fond of?
1: Well, you know, I have to toot my own horn there, and it is... Online at ChinMotorSports.com, mm-hmm. everything that a sports car enthusiast needs to know about the track hobby. You know, it's not just a place where you can go and register to participate in a Chin Motorsports track event, but there's a ton of information about what is the track hobby in general, tips on car setup and driving technique, and uh, and on and on and on and on. Awesome. It's all at chinmotorsports.com. It
0: is a great resource, and uh, I'll do this again a little later, but definitely, listeners, you need to go check out the site. Uh, you'll find all sorts of things there for uh, the automotive enthusiast, the track junkie, the budding enthusiast, race car driver. Uh, everything's there at Chin Motorsports. It's awesome. Would you share a book with our listeners you think that they would enjoy reading?
1: There's a long list of great books <laughs> yeah. I've <sort> of enjoyed over <laughs> years, but something I think about almost on a daily basis, uh honestly is uh the old stephen covey uh seven habits of highly uh, effective
0: people one of my favorites which i'll ask you this which is your favorite habit of his seven habits do you have one that's your favorite
1: begin with the end in mind
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> that's a great you one you know that
1: applies to, that applies to the track also yes you don't turn in until you know where the exit is.
0: Absolutely. Don't
1: initiate your braking until you recognize when your braking will end.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, and,
1: and many other ways you can draw parallels, but begin with the end in mind. Yeah,
0: excellent. I love it. Love that book. I've had it on my shelf for many years. bought copies for both my kids to uh, take with them off into life, so fantastic. Well, I'll remind our listeners that you can find links to all these great resources that Mark has been so kind to share with us today at com slash Mark Hicks. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, Mark, and this last question can be a real doozy for a car guy like you. If you could only have one collector car, and I'll include one collector race car in your garage, I should say, but don't worry about the money because today I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one vehicle be and why?
1: You know, that's a, a profound question that Every car guy likes to contemplate. (laughs) Yes. If I were to be honest, it would be the car in my garage.
0: Wow. Well, you're one of those fortunate guys. Now, what car is that?
1: So it all began for me with an accurate NSX. Mm. My first NSX, uh, and I've owned several, my first NSX is still in my hands, and it's in my garage today. And, you know, that's not necessarily a high-value car in the, uh, in the grand space of collector cars. But for me, I go back to the original acquisition. Acquiring the NSX revealed a path to me that I had no idea existed and showed me things in life that I perhaps had not even dreamed of uh, before owning that car. So that car, for me is an icon, you know, I'm a car guy, which means everything you own is always for sale, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, for the right money. You know, you could buy that car off of me, but it would take an unreasonable um, amount of money. And I don't have any desire or need to ever sell it. Um, and even if I don't use it often, and it sits under cover a lot, it's a snapshot of my adult life. And for that reason, uh, the car that I would want the most is actually already in my garage.
0: Well, you're a very fortunate guy. Wonderful answer. And I'm very happy for you for that. Mark, you've taken me on a great ride around the track today. I knew you would. And I've really enjoyed talking with you and your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off around the track again in that Acura NSX?
1: Mark, it would be my pleasure for anyone that cares about their car and actually about life on the road. Be careful on the streets. That's where the idiots are. Yes. <laughs> You've got to constantly watch out for listeners that are listening to your show. They are very likely already very good drivers, that they care about their driving a great deal more than the average motorist, Mm -hmm. and uh, a simple parting advice is uh, be careful on the street.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Save the speed driving for the racetrack and be careful out there on the road. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Chin Motorsports?
1: It's online. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our website is ChinMotorsports.com, that's C-H-I-N, just like on your face, ChinMotorsports.com, and also... Uh, We've got a pretty active uh, social media presence, Facebook page, chinmotorsports.com, for the casual enthusiast.
2: huge
1: uh, galleries of photos of some of the most beautiful sports cars in the world that have all been seen on track with Chin Motorsports.
0: Awesome. Great. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything that Mark shared with us at carsyad.com. Just put Mark in the search box. His show notes page will pop right up. You can find links to his website. Check him out on Facebook and have some fun with Mark at Chin Motorsports. Thank you, Mark, for being so generous with your time and your expertise today and, and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road.
1: Thank you, Mark. It's really been my pleasure to to be a guest on CarGia. I consider it a privilege.
0: <laughs> You're very welcome.